Hello, this is Pod Academy. I'm Jane Little, and you're listening to Things Unseen, the programme that challenges people of all faiths and none to grapple with the ways in which we search for and find meaning in our lives. One way of doing that is through ritual. I've been lucky enough in my working life to witness all sorts of religious rituals, from Tibetan monks in saffron robes chanting for hours at the Dalai Lama's place in northern India, to Sufi mystics whirling themselves into an ecstatic state in southern Turkey to smoking a pipe with a Cherokee medicine man in North America. But there are also secular rituals. My hairdresser just told me some of the lyrics to the chants he belts out on the football terraces at Chelsea. Unfortunately, I can't share them in polite company. (laughs) But the point is, whether religious or not, we all engage in some form of ritual. Why? Well, I'm joined by Peter Williams, a Catholic writer, by Isabel Clark, a clinical psychologist, and by Nicholas Taylor, a shamanic practitioner. Nicholas, I mentioned the pipe smoking. That's among a few rituals I've either seen or taken part in in an indigenous setting. And I'm wondering, can you tell us how ritual fits within the shamanic worldview? I think the thing with the shamanic worldview is that really it underpins most of the orthodox religious festivals that have evolved because shamanic culture and the existence of shamans dates back at least 30, 40,000 years. So when you were talking about dancing and pipe smoking and chanting, all of these are shamanic rituals, uh, drum beating, any form of feasting, fasting. They're all things that essentially are used to help people connect with the spirits either those of departed ancestors, of particular gods, of a particular plant or of a particular environment. So it's about trying to transport us, to take us into an altered state of awareness? Absolutely. That's a really good description. Yes, there's definitely rituals which help with altering our state of consciousness to allow us to move to what in shamanic terms is called the lower world or the upper world. But it can also be to work with a particular spirit that's inhabiting a particular locus or location. So in that instance, it's just to maybe form a bridge. Um, Peter, in some ways, I think of the Catholic Church as being at the pinnacle of large-scale, extraordinary, beautiful ritual. It really knows how to do theatre in the best, fullest sense of that term. And the funeral mass of Pope John Paul II was awe-inspiring. It was incredible to be there. I'm wondering, what did it do for the hundreds of thousands of pilgrims there? What's it meant for the funeral mass? Well, a mass in and of itself is at the very centre of the Catholic faith because a mass is the ritual that Jesus himself left his followers, left the church, to practice as a memorial sacrifice of him. Ultimately, what the mass is supposed to be is it's the offering of Jesus, his own body, his own blood, his soul and divinity to the Father, to God the Father, because in Christianity we believe that the Son came to offer himself as a sacrifice to the Father for the sins of mankind, to atone for those sins, to make redemption for those sins. So redemption... uh, salvation is offered to Christians through the sacrifice of what Jesus did on the cross. And that's something which is part of the Last Supper, which was the last supper he ever took, which was an actual Jewish ritual, which is a cedar meal. And the cedar meal was completed by the slaying and the eating of a lamb and the offering of the blood of that lamb to God as a sort of paying back of the debt of sin. Well, that's what Jesus does par excellence. He fulfills the old Jewish law. And by doing that, he accomplishes our salvation. So the Eucharist is a memorial sacrifice that represents that same sacrifice on Calvary to us today. 
Isabel, we've heard there about Catholic rituals and shamanic rituals. What connects the two? Nicholas is talking about crossing over and going into the spirit world. Peter was talking about relationship, making a relationship with God, a two-way relationship through Jesus. So throughout ages, human beings have developed ritual as a way of both accessing and managing safely that potential that we have as human beings to step outside of our groundedness in our individuality into a place of relationship and therefore a place of openness to that which is beyond. And you can call that the spirit world, you can call it God or Jesus, but in a sense that's relevant because we are also there stepping away from our verbal understanding, the logical verbal part of our minds, because what this is based on psychologically, as I understand it, is that as human beings we have two rather distinct ways of experiencing and understanding that most of the time weave in and out of each other so we don't realise this, but they are actually profoundly different. And this becomes evident when the two separate out and we are then left with the older one, which is the relational, the more sensory, the one which steps beyond individuality and beyond the verbal. And that is the one which can take us into places which can be extremely exhilarating, can be extremely exciting. They can be very frightening if they're accessed in the wrong sort of way. And human beings have known that this is a really important place to be able to access and to use because there is wisdom, there is healing, there is wholeness in that accessing, that so we are incomplete without it. So we're literally hardwired to we're, seek ritual. That's right. But this is also a place of danger. And ritual enables maybe a community to come together and the elders to lead the others and the tradition to maintain the community in safety, crossing that boundary from the individual into the collective. It's an interesting point at which to bring up indigenous cultures which use rites of passage, which can be quite dangerous. And I'm wondering, Nicholas, to become a shaman, as I understand it, you have to symbolically die. It involves a crossing over mm. to the other side to bring back knowledge. And that often involves a burial rite, which I believe you've actually been through. Can you tell us a little about it? Yeah, my own initiation as part of the group that undertook this training together was over a course of about five days, undergo many tests of trust and also at the same time work on digging a small coffin-shaped hole in the ground with the intention that was fulfilled that at the end of this five-day period, at night, after having stood around the fire and said our prayers and our intention, got into the ground and were covered over with sort of sticks and a cover on the top. So not actually... Into your own individual Into coffin. our own individual grave with a small hole to be able to breathe through where we spent the night. It's making me hyperventilate <laughs> just hearing about it. <laughs> and it's interesting. I do a lot of work now with children, especially with teenage boys, around that point of coming of age. I think there is something 
absolutely vital about initiation, not specifically into any sort of cult or way of thinking, but just into body, into becoming. I think there's something very important and I think there's something that is lacking at the moment in society. And I think when we hear tales of of young boys joining gangs and going out and murdering other people, I think what we are witnessing is people without this initiation trying to find it. You're nodding there, Peter. It resonates? In a sense, yes, it does resonate because I think that God created us with this sense, this sort of God-shaped hole, if you like, of a need for him and a need also to be in a particular kind of relationship with him and with each other. And so I think initiation rituals are, if you like, shadows of the real initiation, which is communion and relationship in Christ and with God himself. So we're made for communion. God himself is a communion of three persons and we are like him, we're made in his image and so we need that kind of communion But you, um, d- you don't get into a dark hole and no. lie there all night what, no, we don't. What's we, the equivalent? <laughs> baptism is, is, is the equivalent for us because in Christianity we believe that we are buried with Christ in baptism In fact the earliest form by which this ritual takes place is when one goes into the water and comes out again In fact Baptists do this very commonly It can be done in the Catholic Church as well but we have a variety of different ways But the idea is when you go down into the water three times you are buried with Christ and you come back up again resurrected with him so that same idea of burial and coming out but in this sense it's a dying it's a dying to one's old self one's own sinful self and being risen again as a part of the body of christ which is the church nicholas did did you feel that when you were coming up out of the grave so to speak how did you feel when you were in there and did you feel transformed in some way when you came out well yes both (laughs) the process of actually surrendering to going into the land, going back to the mother. I mean, it's interesting to hear, Peter, you talk about God very much in the masculine. My understanding of the work I do is very much about the need for us to re-engage with the mother earth, not just on a spiritual shamanic level, but on an ecological level. So part of this ritual was being able to engage directly with that ground, literally going into the earth. And as a result, yes, you face an enormous amount of fear because at some level, and you know, this idea of the ego side of yourself thinks, well, this is hugely dangerous. This is very challenging. I don't like this. I'm going to die. I'm going into emergency mode. But the other part of you that is of spirit remembers, I mean, certainly for me, remembers the times when I've lived and died before. And the process of being able to surrender to that experience and to emerge, yes. I mean, the way the morning looked as I came out of the hole, watching, you know, sun like a ruby grapefruit low in the sky was just, I mean, it's still in me. And I think there is something, whatever whatever rituals involve, there is something about that return, that renewal, which is, is so healing. I think these descriptions sort of bring up for me another really important aspect of the two ways of knowing, and that is that they have completely different logics. They work in different ways. And I think what we are getting described here are very clear descriptions of what I would call both-and logic, which is that you put two things together and they become one. One represents the other, but they are the other, so that it is real. It is both representational and it is real at the same time. And I think a lot of what goes wrong with understanding of ritual and understanding really of spirituality in general is a failure to appreciate the fact that we are so accustomed to either or logic when things are either one thing or another. 
which I came across when I did an anthropology course in ritual. And I found it to be quite a reductive understanding mm. Mm. of the function of ritual because it was literally looking at the function. And one side said, it creates the social order. And the other side, no, it just symbolises and yep. reflects it. Exactly. Yes, just symbolises. That puts it perfectly. And the other thing that I'm picking up here, to be a little bit controversial, I think each of you very understandably is, I think, seeing your particular ritual as the real thing. But in both and logic, each of you can be absolutely right. There is no cop-out. Yours well, is two, the, the two, answer. The Catholic ritual is the answer. There are and two, uh, so two, is two my elements. Anglican ritual. You've brought up really two very important points, actually, in what's just been said. The first is the both and. I mean, one, one thing that distinguishes Catholic and Eastern Orthodox, Oriental Orthodox, and Assyrian Church of the East Christianity from its Protestant brethren is that we believe that uh, the sacraments are rituals that don't merely signify something which has happened, but accomplish what has been signified, that the two actually work together hand in hand. So it, it is a both and right there. I, I totally agree with you. But I think that there is a fundamental theological difference which underlies the nature of our rituals here, which is that I mean, when you said I use the masculine pronoun, I use the masculine pronoun because, of course, God has revealed himself in a masculine way through the scriptures, through Jesus Christ, through all of these. Jesus was himself a man. But actually, that in and of itself doesn't tell us something about the nature of God, because God is beyond human concepts. God is, in fact, not masculine or feminine or anything like that. Every word that we use about God, we believe in the Catholic Church, is called analogical. Analogical language means that you say something about a thing, you capture a certain reality, but you can't get the whole of it. And that's what we say when we use God, say, God is father. The fatherhood of God transcends infinitely my fatherhood or anyone else's fatherhood. But he uses these words because he wants us to relate to him in a very specific way. And also Although the there other, are Christians the, within the church, specifically the 50% who are women, who would say we need to change that language. Some of them would. Um, but, but ultimately that would be seen as by a historic Christianity as quite unorthodox because it's going past the boundaries that God has himself laid down. And that's one more thing that we have. Right. There is a, a, an exclusivity to Christianity which certainly isn't there within shame and I think is going back to what it understands as a kind of a core behind all spirituality. Perhaps that's what you were saying earlier on. No, it's more to do with the fact that with shamanic practice, you're dealing not with abstract concepts, Mm -hmm. which require lengthy Mm -hmm. arbitration of language. You're dealing with things like a tree and a plant. And really with those things, you're not, you know, arguing over whether you can speak of it or not. You're, You're relating to things that are very concrete, very, very material. And not only that, but have an incredible purpose in terms of the well-being of the entire planet of which we're a part. And that's a fundamental distinction because in Christianity there is a distinction between the creator and the created, the creation and the creator. So we don't believe in kind of getting in union with Mother Earth because Mother Earth is just a part of creation just like we are. Isabel, I'm wondering if there's a qualitative difference between religious rituals and secular. For instance, is the chant on the football terraces (laughs) as meaningful or effective for the fans as, say, the masses for Peter? Yes, I mean I think the chant on the on the football terraces will bring that huge crowd together. And in the crossing of the the threshold, scale is actually extremely important as well. It has quite a profound effect. I think works of art like the Kapoor sort of tube in the in the Tate Modern, the sort of hugeness of it, the hugeness of a of a football crowd. And it could be that that is this sense of trying to reach out to the whole, to the vastness. I think all these things give a meaning. They transport in an experience way the person to the other side. The meaning is given with the football 
side, that you're gunning for one side and not the other. The meaning of the mass has been made clear. As a person of faith, I would say that entering into relationship with the Godhead is possibly more meaningful than shouting for Arsenal or something. <laughs> but on the other hand, I'm not a football fan. <laughs> it could be a I case of both We might and. get many comments on our website about that. It could um, be a case of both <laughs> and. I'm not being dogmatic. <laughs> Can I just ask Nicholas, in terms of belief and where belief fits in with ritual, do we need belief first in order for a ritual to be meaningful? Or does a ritual create belief in some way? It's a really interesting because from a shamanic point of view, it's not really about belief. It's about experience. So, you know, when you undertake this, no one gives you a book and goes, you must believe all these things in it because if you don't, you can't be, you know, a card-carrying member of this religion or you can't then instruct other people or you can't stand up and light a candle. We, we don't have that. The point of undertaking what we would call shamanic journeys to, to meet with your guides is to begin to learn. Peter, dogma, belief is very important in Christianity. Does ritual come first or does it create it? Is it a result of it? Do we need the belief to be there first before ritual? The creed, which is uh, the fundamental statement of what we believe about God and about the church, um, is found within the mass. It's right there in the centre. And we all say it together. But when we say it, we use the the I, credo, credo in unum deum. In other words, I believe in one God. But we're saying it all together. So it's communal as well as individual. Faith is, in fact, the basis on which you go into relationship in these rituals. So when we believe in Christ and we believe in what he did, when we believe that God has revealed himself in a particular way, because revelation precedes any knowledge about God. I can't know God unless he reveals himself to me. and He reveals himself in a particular way as he has within Christianity. And that's why I can say certain what are called dogmas. Dogma is actually just the Greek for opinion, belief if you like. So dogmas are simply doctrines, teachings. But there's something which I haven't come to myself. I haven't made up of my own accord. It's not me arrogating to myself the ability to say, I will limit the divine to this. Right. The divine has revealed himself to But you have in to be in way. a receptive space yes, which is that, aided by ritual. Even that is a grace. And when we go into ritual, it opens us up to more grace, which enables us then to enter into full relationship. Nicholas, I'm wondering if there's somebody out there listening who's looking for a form of ritual to help them connect in some way. Do you advise people on particular forms of ritual? Can you give any advice on a a good ritual to make up for yourself, so to speak? I did actually. Someone came to me recently asking for a ritual. They'd had the experience of a really bad breakup and they wanted to do something to clean the feeling of their flat. They wanted to, you know, turn over a new leaf, start a new. And they asked is it all right if I do X? And I knew about this particular ritual, which is burning sage. And it's, you know, burning things is very common across the world. And, you know, the incense of the Catholic Church, frankincense, beautiful, beautiful resins. But I did, I just had an instinct. I sort of went online and um, it was the same situation, the same problem. And lots of people were saying, oh, you know, yes, we love sage. It's great. And the slightly more secular were saying, bah, why don't you just paint the walls a nicer colour? Why don't you just hoover? Um, but there was a Native American who said, actually, can I just say that having come from a place where this is our tradition, this is how it must be used. And, and so I went there and I asked for a ritual for this friend. And this beautiful ritual was given to me which when I reported to her she said this is so perfect so that's exactly what Peter was saying it's an example of not thinking that we on our own know it all but that we each of us and whether we belong to a particular religion or not has the potential to go and meet with that force and retrieve wisdom beautiful clearly that particular person felt 
that shamanic and Native American tradition would would fit the bill Mm. for reclaiming their space if they had been uh, either an Anglican or a Catholic. There are sort of exorcism and and blessings, you know, sort of two ends of a continuum, really, that that could be done. I've heard of people, you know, having their houses blessed, particularly where bad things have happened after a fire or something like that. You mentioned Nicholas Sage and how, like, it's like, waving frankincense in a church, you feel the space change when you're sitting there. Something alters about that space. So I'm wondering, Peter, did that strike you that maybe there's a little more in common that you have between Catholicism and shamanism than you might first I think there's a fundamental reality that we share in common. We've agreed that we are religious, that basically people are religious animals, that we need ritual in any case, whether it's spiritual ritual or or non-spiritual ritual. I think we we are ritualistic animals. We go through grieving processes, which is why we have funerals. Those can be great moments of healing in someone's life, regardless of whether or not they're religious or not. And so we have this basic need there, but I think it's also connected to our God-shaped whole, that God knows us. He's created us in a particular way for a relationship with him. And so with things like the smoke, I mean, there are lots of parallels, as I said earlier on, between kind of different religions. The parallel with frankincense and, and incense is that it's symbolic of the prayers that we raise up to God within the context of the Mass and with other sort of rituals themselves, that they are our response to God in that sense. That's where incense comes. And so incense is used to consecrate altars and things like this. But it's symbolic of the prayers raising up to the saints. But it's not. It doesn't actually change the space in any way. So, for instance, in the shamanic Mm. view, I guess it would shift the energy of the place in order for it to be clear enough for you to make that connection. We use objects and different forms of material as what we call sacramentals. So holy water, for example, is a sacramental. What we mean by a sacramental is rather than being a means of grace itself, it's a way of encouraging us and helping us when we come to God. Isabel, you're also from within the Christian tradition, but you're Anglican. Listening to this and knowing what you do about ritual, do you think Catholics and Anglicans have more in common or Catholics and shamans? (laughs) (laughs) I can see actually sort of looking, taking my more more sort of um, psychological step back, look at it, how all three have a lot in common. I mean, obviously, Anglicanism and Catholicism do have a lot in common. And there is a huge spread in both. And I know Catholics whom I am much more in agreement with than with Peter, because I'm a liberal Anglican. And there will be Anglicans who are much more hardline and much more similar. And no doubt within shamanism, there are hardline and liberal. I don't know. I'm I'm not sure. Briefly, to each of you, I'm just wondering in this sort of pluralistic age where some would call it a pick and mix approach to spirituality, would you be open to engaging in a ritual in each other's traditions? Would you, for instance, be open, Nicholas, to going to a Catholic mass? Would there be anything you'd get from it? Or do you feel like your own tradition has it, has it all? Well, I have indeed been to a Catholic mass. I went to a, a very a very moving Catholic funeral when uh, a friend with whom I, I sung in a choir passed over. You know, I think there really is a sense now that we're coming together on a world level. You know, we sit in front of our computers, which connect us to the immaterial and the imminent beautifully. And we have these little symbols of the globe, which we're really aware of, flashing on the news. So we, we've got global consciousness coming. And I think in that spirit, it's great to know about shamans like Jesus and the practices that they've done, as well as, you know, various people like the Buddha, Siddhartha, and mages and mystics across the world and across the traditions. That's a real strength for us now. If Jesus was a shaman, Peter, would that mean you're open to going into shamanic practices and rituals? What I'm very much open to is having dialogue um, because I think truth leads on to other truth. And I don't think that there is... uh, I I can't think of a religion, possibly... Well, even Satanism has a kind of truth (laughs) there within it. Um, But 
I think all religions have a truth within them. And so I'm, what I'm interested in doing is, is exploring rather people's beliefs, exploring their practice and saying, OK, well, there's this truth here. How can we engage in dialogue so that we can come to the fullness of truth? And I find that I think the fullness of that truth is found within Christianity. But the thing that's unique about Christ is that rather than being someone who says, well, OK, I've found the truth. He says, I am the truth. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. He claims to be God in a way that is unique. That's why I would say I, I wouldn't be open to engaging in a ritual that would be of a, of a shamanic nature because that would be worshipping God outside the context that he's given me. So it would be opening myself up to danger, but it would also be saying, actually, God, I don't care what you say. I'm going to go and do what I want to do. Partly that, but also partly because what I want to do is I want to understand the, the truth that's there and bring people to the fullness of truth that's found within the Catholic Church. I've just got and to briefly one. let Nicholas come back at you on that because he's raising two eyebrows. <laughs> I mean, one thing that I remember, I mean, seriously, and, and taking the piss a bit, seriously, I mean, didn't Jesus say, all that I've done, you shall do and more? I mean, I think, I don't know. I mean, we're all, we've all got God within us. That's my understanding. I mean, I, Every I single also, bit of life. Also, I think Jesus spent a lot of time sort of pointing out that the people around him simply had not got it. I am an Anglican because I am a religious person. I have a sense of my connection with God and I wish to honour it, I wish to worship and Anglicanism is the religion of my tribe. But at the same time, because I recognise the verbal as actually being in a different box and the verbal is a, is a latecomer in, in our development. We have to sit a little lightly to it and its, its peculiarities. I'm really not going to get hung up on formulae or propositions. Fascinating stuff from everybody here. Thank you to all my guests, Isabel Clark, Nicholas Taylor and Peter Williams. I'm Jane Little and you've been listening to Things Unseen, the series that engages us on the big questions for people of faith and for those who just think there's more to life than meets the eye. Things Unseen was brought to you by CTVC. And you can hear this programme again and find other editions of Things Unseen at www.thingsunseen.co.uk.